Cars, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, welcome to Drafting the Circuits, my name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we break down this past weekend in racing. Uh, before we get started, let me introduce you to the panel tonight, with me uh, is uh, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, Mr. Seth Eggert from Motorsports Tribune. Richard Uden, race engineer, and Joey Barnes from IndyCar.com. How is everybody tonight? Very good, thank you. I'm good. Doing great, man. All right. You guys sound like you had to think about it for a second. So <laughs> Now, now, Gray, uh, for you, I know it's not the first time in your career that you're part of a Daytona 500 winning um, effort, uh, but uh, certainly you were part of that uh, this weekend. I, I'm sure it feels just as good, and it, uh, you know, I'm sure it uh it uh, feels good every time. So, what's what's the mood at the shop? What's the feeling coming out after you guys have kind of uh, pulled off this um, Daytona 500 when you weren't expected to or whatnot? So, but uh, what's uh, what's the feeling with everybody in the shop? Well, it, you know, it's it's always good when you win. That's no doubt. Win, winning fixes a lot of things, but uh, in, in a lot of, in a lot of areas. But yeah, the, the mood at the shop is great. It, it was it was a good win for our organization. Uh, it's, it's, you know, been well talked about over the winter, the, uh, downsizing that, uh, RCR went through with the loss of, uh, the Menard sponsorship and Paul Menard moving on and downsizing to two teams. And, and, uh, a number of people were, were cut from the roster and, uh, it made for a, uh, difficult, uh, a winter, uh, the guys pulled together, the fab, the boys in the fab shops worked uh, some six and, and seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, getting cars ready for not only the uh, the RCR teams, but the Alliance teams as well. And, and you got to remember, too, we they uh, they had to do a, a model change over the winter as well, changing from the Chevy SS to the Camaro. But... Uh, the guys pulled together in it, and, and the good thing about it, and I am so happy for those guys that put in all that time uh, during the course of the winter to see their see them rewarded for their time and effort. Uh, so that that to me was was really good. And, and any time you win, you know, a, a race, it, it really does a lot for the morale in the shop. But the day to win the Daytona 500 is, is a big deal for everybody. Um, it, uh, it sets the tone for the rest of the year. Uh, the team will go uh, for the next few races, riding a wave of, of momentum. And, uh, you know, um, 
for me personally, it's the second time, like you said, that I've been involved been involved in a, in a, in a Daytona 500. It, it's you know, it's a Super Bowl. It's it's that's our Super Bowl, and uh, it is a big race, and it's something that uh, that you know um, you can say you were part of, and uh, which is which is really cool. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm proud of what I'm proud of the guys in the shop that really put forth the effort and, and made it happen. Now the 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 race, on the other hand. Uh, you know, Austin, uh, I talked to Richard today, talked to him uh, this afternoon about 3 o'clock, had a chance to speak with him. And like Richard said, you know, he, he said, you know, the um, their plan was to just survive, stay stay out of the fray. And when it got really wild and crazy, and it was a it was a it was a crazy race. I think we had 18 cars knocked out in crashes through it. And part of their plan was to was to to be to be um, just be careful uh, and, and be patient and uh, and hopefully they would get a chance to to uh, to race at the end of the race and so after the herd thinned a little bit obviously you know with the with the caution there with four laps to go when uh, William Byron spun it kind of uh, re-racked the field and Austin finds himself uh, starting in the second row. And of course, we watched to watch the rest of rest is history, and and he was able to come out with a win, and that's the nature of the beast. Uh, that's the nature of restrictor plate racing. Um, you're going to have these wild finishes, and and you're going to have unpredictable winners. We've seen that many many times in the past. So, you know, hats off to those guys. They worked hard. I'm proud of them. Uh, and uh, you know, it's 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 a good feeling at the shop right now. Absolutely, yeah. So that was a little bit of a, an aggressive move right there at the end um, to get around um, uh, the ten car Amarola there. So, um, and, well, and, and, and you know, a good effort from Amarola too. That that ten oh, car yeah. hasn't seen the front like that at the end of a race in a while. Well, and uh, also some of the other cars at the top of the order. Bubba Wallace finishing second um, in his first start as a full time driver for Richard Petty, and he was kind of in the mix all day as well. So, but uh, yep. now, Seth, you've got some stats on the crashes that you'd like to share. Yes, uh, out of 169 cars that participated in NASCAR events, including the Clash and the Duels, 99 were involved in accidents. 59% of the cars and trucks brought to Daytona were involved in accidents. Yep. And Go ahead. <laughs> And one other thing, uh, the last time the number three and the number 43 finished 1-2, Bristol 1987, Dale Earnhardt won, Richard Petty finished second. That's a neat yeah. tidbit there. Yeah, that's, that's, pretty, a, that's, that's, a, cool. that's a while back, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the uh, – some of the favorites that didn't finish, you know, let's just, just run down some of the names here. Jimmy Johnson in the wall early. Um, Keselowski was taken out in a crash. Uh, I don't think Logano made it to the end. Um, yeah, Logano did. He did? Okay. McMur- McMurray had troubles. Um, he was uh, Chase Elliott had troubles. Chase so. Elliott looked good, and he had troubles, yeah. So um, a lot of a lot of really good cars out of there. But, uh, you know, the, to those, you know, to Gray's point, yeah, to, to win, you got to be there at the end. You know, to be there at the end, you've got to just – how to 
Uh, and sometimes there's no out of trouble at a place like Daytona. But, uh, but again, hats off to Austin Dillon, uh, Gray, and everyone there at the shop, all of Richard Childress there. So, uh, uh, you know, great job. Puts you in the chase. Uh, you know, you've got that off your plate early in the season, so that's fantastic. So, um, but uh, oh, go ahead, Seth. Oh, what I was going to say is with the aggression, there was also some incredible saves. I mean, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., which that ultimately set off the absent that took out Jimmy Johnson, Daniel Suarez, and others. But he, it was an incredible save on the backstretch. I thought he was going to spin into the outside wall off Brian Blaney, and somehow he held on to it. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Johnson had a woeful speed weeks. He he crashed in every every event that he he was in, uh, and of course he's he's his his record at Daytona over the last three or four years has been uh, has been pretty dismal. He hasn't uh, he hasn't had a good speed weeks in in, in quite some time. Um, what a run by Ryan Blaney! He ends up leading the most laps of the race, and and in my opinion had the had the car that was probably the class of the field. Uh, I believe had that last caution not come out, and I'm talking about the one inside uh, five laps to go. I believe if that caution does doesn't come out, Ryan holds off the field and, and probably gets gets the win. But anytime they re rack these these uh, the fields on on these restarts, anything can happen and usually does. But uh, Strong run again for the Fords. Ford flexed their muscle throughout speed weeks, and, I, and, and you know, it looked like right until about uh, two turns from the end that a Ford was probably going to end up winning. But, uh, uh, you know, that, that just proves the metal of, the, of, of, you know, Roush Yates' engines and, and, the, and the Ford package on, on the speedways. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of goes on a little bit to uh, something I wanted to, to discuss tonight here. Uh, you know, and I'm putting my sort of engineering hat on again here, so I'm sure some of you will fall asleep at this point. But um, you know, racing is a is a business at the end of the day. And we all know that, and anybody that works in racing knows it is a business, and you've got to, you know, your results are your uh, income, like any other business. And I think what you saw this last week in, in Daytona, is potentially with these new regulations of the no ride height rule and 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 some of the new new aspects that have been brought in, it's potentially setting a dangerous precedence for plate racing or restricted plate racing. I think it's pretty obvious from what we saw that you know the Roush Yates engines and especially the Penske cars, Team Penske there, they they did their homework on restricted plate racing. Uh, they, the whole Penske group sent out, and including the Wood Brothers in this equation here, four cars that were the class of the field. When you hear midway through the 500 that Martin Truex Jr., the defending champion, doesn't have anything for Ryan Blaney and can't get past him, you know, that tells you, you know, what you need to know there. So you then have to look at it and say, well, okay, you, you have racing that is... I don't use the word contrived because I think that's slightly wrong, but designed to be unpredictable. And the reason that teams like Penske will spend so much money on cars for the Daytona 500, not just purely because they want to win it and it's the marquee event, but they want to get a return on their investment. Each of those cup cars costs a good end of 
you know, between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars to manufacture. So for a you know a team like Hendrick, I think Hendrick lost four cars in the five hundred and at least two or three in in all the other races that weekend. You know, they're walking away from there with probably the good end of a five million dollar repair bill, if so, especially if some of the chassis have been damaged beyond repair. And you almost have to wonder where do you draw the line? Yes, you want unpredictable races. You want surprise winners to a certain extent. But also, for teams to want to take these races seriously and participate seriously, and for this to be the marquee event, you have to have a little bit of rewarding the guys that are good at what they do. Um, and, I mean, you know, no disrespect at all to, to Austin and the three team and, and everybody at RCR, he played the game that he, you know, he, he played with the hand that he was dealt. You know, he went to a backup car after the dual races midweek because he didn't feel he had the pace in those cars. Um, he went to the car that I believe he ran the clash with the week before. And, you know, they knew they were not the fastest car in the field. They couldn't, you know, move to the front. They couldn't move through the pack like Jimmy Johnson and Joey Logano did. And they just did what they did. I think they went on to a slightly different fuel strategy towards the end of the race there, potentially to get themselves out of trouble. So, and they've got to be given credit for that. But, um, you know, it, at some it's, point it's, you've got to reward these guys for putting that effort in. It is. And it's interesting you should say that about the fuel strategy that he did because he came down pit road by himself one time and did it. And that is one of the reasons that he missed one of the big crashes because he was he was – uh, he was some 40 seconds behind the lead pack. And, I mean, but like I said, you know, that's that's just the, the luck of the draw, the cautions coming out like like they they needed to be. I mean, you know, in, in, you, you flip a coin, you know, your strategy's going to work or it's not going to work. And, and, but, and he happened to fall right into it, and, and, and it worked well. I mean, we can go back and look at the same thing at the 600 last uh oh, sure. last spring you know he they played they played a strategy and 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 just roll the dice and it and it happened to happen to come up their number do you not think in a way though that there's potential that especially if you if you go through this season and you you know the two day turn race and the two Talladega races are similar to this and you get i don't want to use the word unjustified winners or surprise winners. Surprise winner, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Do you think it devalues the restricted plate races if this happens a lot? If you see the Jimmy Johnsons and the Brad Kozlowskis and, you know, some of these guys who are top, top restricted plate racers, you know, being, you know, taken out of the races because of, you know, no fault of their own, because the the, the regulation has been manipulated to enable this sort of driving... Do you think that it's going to, in the future, unless something changes, it will start to devalue races like this? It's, it's hard to say because you're going to have a segment of the population that likes it, that likes the underdog coming coming through and winning the races, and you're going to have a you're going to have a segment of the of the old guard or purist fans that won't like it, that will that will that will that will think it is a detriment, and when when the guys that uh, Typically, like uh, Keselowski, that are that are so good at plate racing, and those guys are, are denied a win because, simply because they're they're caught up in, in in a wreck, not of their not of their doing. Yeah, I think you'll yeah. see two segments of it, and it's hard to say what the fans 
which which ultimately or, or what you know we want to we have to answer to mm-hmm. uh it's hard to say what what they'll do we're going to have segments that are that are going to go both ways well, very quickly i know with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. That's got a, a quick point he wants to raise here, but very quickly, you know, then you also, I think, have to look at what the team owners, you know, their opinion as well, because they're very heavily involved in, in you know, the, the writing of the rule book and the like. And if they're finding that they might as well just, you know, you know, they're putting all this money in and not getting a return. And then there's other guys who aren't putting as much money in, but get the result. You know, they're going to be saying, well, hang on, look, we need a little bit of a, you know, risk yeah. reward ratio here that, you take the look out of it. And mm-hmm. I know I mean, I've talked about this before on the show before, you know, racing to be successful at racing, it's about preparation. It's about doing your due, due diligence. And, um, you know, when luck starts to become a major factor, that's probably more of a factor than actual engineering and speed and, mm-hmm. and all these sort of things. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the team, I mean, cause I'm sure, if you go and ask Roger Penske right now, he want to go back to the old regulations and he's going to be spitting feathers. Well, I th- and that's a good point, too, because I think the new, this, the new regulations that we ran under this year, the no ride height rule, we saw what that did. These cars were a bear to drive. Uh, and you, you saw what happened every time uh, a car tried to duck, duck beneath another car and got a little bit too close to the left rear quarter panel, it would essentially suck the other car around. And uh, those, cars, those cars became a handful. And I'm, and, and I'm sure that that same thing contributed to some of the wrecks that we saw throughout Speed Weeks. That may need to be revisited, uh, that, that rule there. They may need to revisit that a little bit before we possibly go to the next restrictor plate race to do something to secure those cars. I think if you do some of that, and maybe the owners will step forward and ask for that, if they do that, then that might help help the, what you're alluding to, Richard. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go with that a little bit, that this is the first time they're running that specific package, the no-ride-height rule. I, maybe I'm being a little optimistic, I think maybe as we go on in that package at restrictor plates that the the blocking will calm down to a certain degree. And the reason why I'm thinking that is because it used to be when they tried to block, they would practically spin themselves out. Now when they try to block, they're practically spinning somebody else out because they're taking the air off of the mm-hmm. driver. Yeah. So I think at some point even the drivers will try to find a balance of their own 
I remember a race back in 2009 at Talladega where NASCAR it had an edict about no bump drafting. This was because of what happened to Carl Edwards earlier that year when he got sent into defense, literally. And the drivers took it upon themselves just to freight train around the track instead of trying to pass a race because they felt like they didn't have a way of doing that. Yeah, the big the biggest thing NASCAR's got to do with an eye to, eye towards competition. Don't don't react don't react to something that you know. Basically, you're gonna you're gonna create another situation, just like you alluded to, Seth, where the drivers instead, okay, we're, they're gonna take this away, so we're just gonna line up nose to tail and we're gonna run a processional type race. They need to they need to find find a way to snug these cars up. And if you if you'll recall during qualifying. Uh, and, and some of the races qualifying essentially the team, the engineers and the teams went back and, and did what basically a, a reverse skew on the cars. You know, you've seen how we used to do the cars on the on the downforce tracks where we would skew them to the right, where you would get the the spoiler when the cars would go into the corner and yaw, you would get the spoiler up in the airstream and create rear downforce to secure the car in the corner. What the guys did this time is used a reverse skew, skewed the car to the left so that when the car was going around the track, the the spoiler was down out of the air. And, of course, that was also brought about by, you know, the no ride height rule and raising the the height of the spoiler a half inch. So these guys are going to, you know, the teams are going to do what they feel like they need to do. Sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll have unintended, unintended consequences, but they're trying to get speed in these cars. So I think, to me, they need to revisit that rule, uh, the no ride height rule, and, uh, and see what they can do uh, maybe to, uh, to help it. And you got to remember, too, another thing, too, guys, we used to go to Daytona to test the Speedway package in January before the Daytona 500. That we haven't done that in several years now. So when we, you know, you get to these racetracks, there are a lot of unknowns. So maybe one of the things that they need to do between now and Talladega is maybe have a test and go <laughs> and, pl- and play with a couple of things to see if they can. Uh, can, can help help matters just a little bit. And it basically is just fine-tuning the rule. Well, you say that, and I agree with you, but I do want to point out in the Xfinity Series race, and they didn't have a no-ride height rule in the Xfinity Series. Uh, there was a move that Ryan Reed tried to do on, or sorry, Ryan Truex tried to do on Ryan Reed, and he sucked Ryan Reed around ever so slightly, forcing Ryan Reed to come over and literally force Truex down below the WL line, ended up getting Reed penalized, and Truex trying to save it going into turn three. He saved it, but about five or six cars wrecked trying to avoid him. And where they don't even have that rule, let alone an adjustable track bar in the car, or driver adjustable, that is, uh, all the cars, even the truck series... They were moving around quite a bit well, this the truck, past weekend. You, you're never going to completely take that away because of just the way the nature, the, the, the physics and the phenomenon of the, of the draft. You're not going to take that when you come up on a car. You, the guys have to be, the guys driving the, the cars in the league have to be a little bit prepared for it. You're never going to completely going to get rid of that. 
but but you can do things. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that about the Xfinity Series. The Xfinity Series, to me, had better racing at, at, at Daytona than they've had in several years because of the new flares on the front on the front uh, fascia around the front bumper area. Uh, I think that helped them to where the inside line and the outside line could race. You know, uh, the last couple of years, it seemed like in, in, in the Xfinity series, one line would be dominant and you couldn't get a run with the other line. I think this year in the Xfinity series, that new, that new little thing, they wrinkle, they put in the, in the front bumpers, that little bubble thing kind of helped, uh, help their racing a good bit. I think uh, I think some of those guys in that uh, Xfinity race needed to be reminded that the uh, Daytona 24 was actually a couple of weeks earlier, yep. and they weren't racing it this week because they just didn't want to go home, did they? But yeah, they didn't. yeah but you stole my joke, this. Richard. Sorry, <laughs> but I will say this: it resulted in a uh, record-making finish. Uh, it was the closest finish in. NASCAR history, as far as the top three series are concerned, four ten thousandths of a second, uh, Tyler Reddick won over his teammate, Elliot Sadler. And going back to that front fascia, the bubbles that were intended as well to also try to prevent the uh, tandem drafting, somehow Chase Elliott and Elliot Sadler figured out a way of doing it, and they got black flagged for it. And yet mm-hmm. Elliot Sadler somehow made it back up there to nearly tie with his teammate. Yep, sure did. I mean, they, he had a good the, – the junior motorsports cars were, were, were very strong in the Xfinity race, definitely. And the race that that beats record-wise, uh, a truck series race at Colorado National Speedway back in, I want to say, 1996 or 1997, and that was 1,000th of a second difference. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite a finish. I tell you what, it was a, it was a long overdue finish. What, yeah. what was it, Seth? Was it five restarts? That, yeah, it, uh, it, five five overtimes. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was nearly like thirty laps extra, right? Uh, I can tell. Twenty four. Yeah, it was. was quite uh, quite a few extra laps. One, yeah. It was supposed to be a one hundred twenty lap race. It turned into a one hundred forty three lap race. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. And and I know a lot of teams were worried about fuel there at the end because uh, of all the of all the restarts. But you know we, we we talk about this after every plate race weekend. It's it's you know it's the nature of the beast. You're running these cars uh, on a on a two and a half mile high bank track, and you're gonna uh, you're gonna have this kind of stuff. I don't know if there's a perfect scenario that you can do to get away. These these guys are racing close quarters. They're rubbing on one another. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I, I don't think in a, in a perfect world, even in a perfect world, I don't think that you'll, that you'll always have this. I mean, you could, you know, you could, I think if you downsize the engines and did away with the plates, um, maybe, just maybe, I don't know, uh, and, and where they had a little bit of throttle response, but you'd have to seriously downsize the, the, the cubic inch displacement of the engines to, uh, to, control the spit, to control it. But, you know, I, I think as long as you've got, you know, racing at Daytona and Talladega, this, this is what you're going to get from time to time. Absolutely. Now, Joey, you've, uh, you've been quiet, but you've been typing quite a bit. 
So I just want to bring you into the conversation to just add anything you like, whether it be about the, the you know the uh, ride height rule, the uh, the Xfinity race, the garbage call on the uh, on the bump drafting, or the tandem drafting rather. So uh, what uh, what are your thoughts after this uh, weekend of racing at uh, Daytona, Joey? Because I always love to hear what you have to say. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> well I think. I, honestly, I enjoyed the truck race on Friday night of all three of the series. Uh, obviously, the Xfinity show was great, um, but it had a poor ending. I didn't really like necessarily the the full racing product that I saw on Sunday, but I really enjoyed from, from flag to flag what I saw out of the truck race. And ironically, that comes with their new OEM um, that's standard for a lot of the teams. I think 26 teams ran it. And uh, started- there were... There were 26 teams that ran it. Uh, the Kyle Busch trucks, except for uh, Todd Gilliland and three of the older Chevy teams. David Gilliland. Yeah. Todd's not running until, like, Charlotte, I think. Uh, but, he's uh, running Martinsville and then Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but I, I, Johnny Sauter ended up winning his third straight, but this one was the first with the new, with the new engine. And... You know, I mean, overall, I, I like the show that I saw from that. It didn't get excessive. The racing was good. It was side-by-side. Side. There was some closeness. There were some close calls. Um, we've got to do something to keep, like, the ARCA race went on and on and on and on a couple weeks ago. Or, and, and you look at the Xfinity race, and it went on and on and on. Like, I didn't see a problem with the original, let's do three attempts, and it's done. Uh, I don't... Maybe you're making an exception because it's Daytona, and if you want to do that, that's fine. But you can't continue to, if you're NASCAR, in my opinion, say that you care about the economics of these teams and the economics of the sport, and you're taking away jobs by taking away a guy over the wall and things like that. You're you're doing those things, but you're still, you know, leaving as you pointed earlier. I mean, Rick Hendricks got a uh, the, the the team there has got like five million dollars in damage, crash damage from speed weeks alone. So. You can't continue to suffer those things and think that this series is healthy. So there's got to be some dynamic. There's got to be a happy medium. But overall, the quality of racing was good. Uh, I love the aggressiveness. I saw Chase Elliott was crazy aggressive. Ryan Blaney, crazy aggressive. And we need that just to cement who the next superstar is supposed to be. I mean, it's a little ironic that Dale Jr.'s former car's on pole and his daddy's old car number wins the race. We won't get into the numerology of things, but it's it's funny to me that we've got these young guys now who are hungry to try to take that spotlight, and that's exactly what we saw at Daytona. And I'm an advocate for that kind of stuff, but the real racing starts now that we head to Atlanta because the mile and a half is the grind of the schedule. And so I think we're about to see if this Camaro is everything it's cracked up to be. We're about to see if Roger Penske's team and all the Fords are for real and you know, what what the Toyotas can actually have to try to bring to the table. So I'm excited for the season. It's it's more interesting to me now than it was a year ago. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joey. The real racing starts this Sunday, and we'll table the restrictor plate talk until uh, late April, early May, when, the, when, well, the, when they revisit, uh, when we revisit again at Talladega. And so we'll, uh, we'll move on from that, and we'll probably have the same discussions the week after Talladega, but but going to Atlanta, uh, we'll we'll see a different. We're going to see a different style of racing. Uh, 
the track should be a good race, but if you base it on what happened last year, that multiple groove racetrack, worn out, uh, worn out pavement, uh, tire management is going to come into play this weekend. So uh, I think uh, we've got an interesting weekend coming up. Absolutely, I, I think the next the next four or five uh, races are really you know they're all the kind of bread and butter type tracks that NASCAR. Um, races down here. We're really going to get an idea of who our championship contenders and who our championship pretenders are. But before we move on away from Daytona, Seth, you do have a comment about numerology. And then I'm going to ask you about this Twitter stuff with Denny Hamlin, Albuterol, and Bubba Wallace. Uh, yeah, just the one comment on numerology. Uh, three times the Daytona 500 in recent years has been on February 18th. And all three times they were won by Richard Childress Racing Car. One, Dale Earnhardt Sr. The other, Kevin Harvick. And this year, Austin Dillon. So go to Vegas on February 18th and put your chips in on an RCR car. That's what you're telling me. Exactly. Sounds good. Okay, yeah. All right. And and on the Denny Hamlin thing? Because they they look like – I saw some video today the service of him and – uh, young Mr. Wallace having a look like a pretty heated discussion uh, right after the race. Well, we have to start with Denny Hamlin's uh, comments prior to the race weekend. Uh, he was on, I want to say it was Barstool Sto- uh, Sports, and he made a joke that 70% of NASCAR drivers are on Adderall. And he eventually walked that back and apologized for it. But, uh, after the race on Sunday, him and Bubba were beating and banging coming to the line, and Denny just drove uh, Darrell Wallace Jr. right up into the wall past the line. Uh, Bubba didn't take kindly to it. Uh, he wasn't happy about it. Uh, he made a comment saying that uh, Denny had done that to Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney at Martinsville last year, and then uh, took a jab at Denny's Adderall comment, which Denny is now exploding on Twitter over. And yesterday, uh, or Sunday, I should say, uh, in between the two post-race press conferences, uh, I don't know who who in NASCAR had this idea, but they were originally going to have Denny and Bubba on stage at the same time, but they changed that. Uh, But Denny and Bubba ran into each other, and Denny decided to start a chatting match. Bubba just walked by him. I mean, Denny, this is part of the reason that people can't take Denny seriously, though, right? Like, this is part of the reason you don't look at him as a, as a superstar, as a serious threat to a championship, why we, in some cases, look at him as a choke artist, is you're going to you're supposed to be a seasoned veteran. You're supposed to be a guy who represents the series well, and you're not supposed to definitely in this situation speak on behalf of anybody, even in a joking manner. Like those kind of comments aren't necessary. And even in, if you're joking about it, and so you're facing repercussions for it. You don't like it. You never should have cracked the joke to begin with. And, you know, I don't really have a problem with, with Bubba poking at it because, if he feels like he was done wrong on the track, I mean, it's certainly what are you going to do? You're going to take a jab at something that the guy made a mistake over. And, um, you know, then he should just be better than that, smarter than that to refrain from those kind of comments. 
and Bubba took the high road. And then in the media center, uh, we had a nice moment with Bubba, uh, his mom interrupting the post-race uh, interview to uh, congratulate him and his sister as well. And it was nice to see the emotion in the family with him. Yeah, that's that. That was really neat. Yeah. So, but yeah, back to Denny, man. I don't know what has gotten into him lately because you're talking about Denny Hamlin has is, is got his name in the news for not the right reasons. You know, going all the way back to last year during the chase. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, he's intentionally trying to do things to uh, put the spotlight on himself. He's you know he's taking a page out of the Kyle Busch playbook, or or if he's just that stupid sometimes. I honestly don't know. Well, but, it comes down. Here's my thought on it, though, is like we're running into a situation where NASCAR, the ratings are down. There's not a lot of fans in the in the attendance as much as there used to be. And Dale Jr. just left the, the sport for the most part as far as the driving role goes. So there's not as much of a draw now. And you just did something that shines a huge negative spotlight on the sport, potentially. You did nothing positive in any shape or form. I don't understand... I don't understand where your head's at by doing that. It looked like it was a bonehead move, in my opinion. A big time, big time. So, but before we start talking about Formula One launches and uh, Indy 500 entries, uh, I want to go around the table, get some picks for Atlanta, and then we'll see if anybody has any other other thoughts over the the speed weeks that they need to get out. But uh, let's, uh, Richard, let's have you uh, do the first pick uh, for um, Atlanta. Jimmy Johnson. All right, good pick. Gray? I'm going to go with the same guy that dominated the mile and a half last year. I'm going to say you defending champion is going to, is going to come to the forefront and, uh, and run well there this weekend. I, you know, the jury's still out on, on any improvements that the, that the Ford, the Ford camp or, and Penske has made at the thing. I, we'll just have to see. We could be in for surprise and I hope we are. I hope there's someone to challenge uh, Toyota's dominance on the mile and a half. So, but for right now, I'm going to have to go with True uh, Truex. That's a good solid pick. Now, Joey, you picked uh, Paul Menard for Daytona. He actually had a pretty good run. He actually uh, he actually had a great run there at Daytona. So, Joey, who do you like for Atlanta? Uh, honestly, I like Chase Elliott. I'm going to go with the hometown kid, um, and it's strictly because I think the Camaros are going to be pretty stout on the mile and a half, the side force and things that they generated. Uh, based on just the light testing that I saw at Texas. So it's one of those things um, with that and as well as what I saw at Daytona. He didn't look like a guy that hoped to win anymore. He looked like a guy that's ready to win, uh, just his driving style. So I, I'm going to pick Chase. All right, good good pick. Seth? Well, since all three of my picks have already been taken, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go with Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, a good pick on any track on the schedule. I, I got to tell you that. But I, uh, uh, along with you and along with Gray, I do think that Toyotas are going to perform quite well at Atlanta. So I'm going to go way out on a limb and pick uh, Daniel Suarez um, just for fun. But you're going to pick Denny Hamlin there for a second. No. <laughs> no, but you know what? Denny will probably go and win this one now, so. But, guys, any, any any final NASCAR thoughts before we uh, uh, stop discussing Daytona and move on to some other topics? Um, I do want to say, at least uh, talking about the truck series, uh, one of the only teams that was left from the inaugural season, uh, Jim Rosenblum's FDNY Racing, 
announced that they were closing their doors after Daytona. I read yeah, yeah read that article today. Yeah, let's say Seth did a pretty good job on that piece. So yeah, and didn't you say that was one of the one of the uh, one of two one remaining the original, teams? Yeah, the, of the, the original truck teams. Yes, the only other one that's left is MB Motorsports, the Mittler brothers, uh, FDNY Racing. I do want to give them at least one sh- shout out. Uh, in recent years, they've been donating their proceeds to the nine eleven charities. Excellent. That's good Excellent. That's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, FDNY stands for you know, New York Fire Department, correct? Correct. Right, right. There you go. So, uh, that, that that makes everything perfect in the world. So, all right, guys. So, uh, Richard, Joey, uh, you guys have been paying attention to, we've seen uh, so far five of the 2018 Formula One cars have been uh, launched, uh, revealed. Uh, however you like to say it, Renault gave you offered you a little hologram to put on your desktop. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the couple of new cars we saw, which were we, the Haas went first, and then we saw the Red Bull car, uh, the, um, the Alfa Romeo Sauber, the Williams car, and then the Renault. If I'm is that correct? Yep. 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 Okay. So, what are your impressions of these cars, uh, having seen them for the first time, um, and we'll see them on the track for the next time come Monday? I mean, for me personally, I, out of all of them, I I like the Williams the best. It has the most aggressive design. Um, something that we talked about before we went on air was how you know we're seeing a lot of the side pods get narrower. Uh, last year, it was all about the shark fins and the T wings, and now it's more about the barge boards. And Richard can talk a little bit more about that. But I, I'm impressed with some of the design work that I've seen out of out of Williams for sure. Uh, I enjoyed Red Bull's design as well. Uh, I'm interested to see what they can really do uh, with Renault Power Tag Heuer or whatever you want to badge it. Um, you know, for the immediate future, because we all know that that the way that everything's funneling, it's funneling to them in an Aston Martin future. So. Wondering what they're going to have versus what we might see out of Renault this year, which the car was relatively unimpressive, and what we might see out of McLaren Renault. So Renault's kind of the big unknown as far as an OEM goes on what they can do to go after Mercedes and Ferrari, who have yet to launch. But out of all of them so far, super impressed by by the Williams car for sure. Patty Lowe and, and them did a really good job with that. Now, is this not, if I'm, am I not mistaken, so that Patty Lowe actually uh, designed this car? Uh, him and uh, Ed, I forgot the name of the Ed guy Wood that was is, with him. Ed Wood is the chief designer at uh, Williams, and Paddy Lowe is the technical director. Okay, I thought, so, I, I, thought I had read somewhere director. that yeah, Pat, Paddy Lowe, this is the first car he's designed or had a hand yeah. in designing. Potentially. I mean, a technical director will normally provide the sort of philosophy for a car and the areas where you know you need to distribute your budget and the areas where you need to you know, is this development a worthwhile development? Is that, you know, that sort of side of things. Um, and then somebody like the chief designer, so an Ed Wood of the world, who's a very, very experienced uh, designer at Williams, been chief designer there a number of years. He's the one who will actually get into the sort of nuts and bolts of of the design work. And, um, you know, he'll work directly with the design teams to, to, to come up with the concepts that they've worked on. Ah, excellent. So now, Richard, what are your impressions of the first five cars we've seen? I think we've only actually physically seen two of the cars, haven't we? I think most of them have been rendering so far. Uh, Red Bull's already run on track doing a filming day at uh, Silverstone. 
and they ended up sticking it in the wall there on a wet track, which is a huge surprise for Silverstone to be wet at this time of year. But they're they're pretty confident that that's not going to be anything uh, too too uh, detrimental to their pre-season testing next year. Apparently, there was a um, some may, relatively major damage to the front of that car from uh, from from what's leaked out from the people there. But um, I think yeah, the Williams is an aggressive-looking car for the first time in a long time. They've sort of sat on the on the coattails of the Mercedes engine for for a long, long time now, and I think as you're starting to see the likes of Renault come through and Ferrari, you know, improve their their engine performance, and even you know Honda to a certain extent have done that. You know, Williams need to step up to the plate a little bit with some more of their design philosophies now. It is very much a, um, how should we put it, a what looks best off the other cars and let's stick it all together and see if it works sort of philosophy. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but you know, it's got the high rake uh, that, that Red Bulls have um, run in the past. It's got the, sort of the, the, the um, side pods and uh, barge board sort of philosophies that Ferrari have run in the past. Uh, and the front wing elements are very Mercedes-esque from last year. So there's a lot of, um, trying to pick the best bits off from other cars, and and sometimes that you know it may look quick, but sometimes that doesn't work as a package. Now, hopefully, with you know somebody like Paddy Lowe on board there as a pretty experienced technical director, um, you know they're not going to fall into that trap. Um, I think the Sauber looks a big improvement over what we've seen in the past. Um, maybe a little bit messy and a little bit clumsier again around some of the barge boards, the side pods, and the um, the actual radiator ducts look very, very small. Um, the engine covers slightly larger, maybe for the for the engine. Um, you know, as I say, the cooling systems within that engine this year maybe slightly higher, uh, slightly more demanding than they've run in the past. But for for the first time in a long time, it looks like the guys at Sauber have actually, and this isn't being disrespectful to what them in the past, but actually thought about it and actually come up with a new package and worked over the winter rather than just get through where, they, where, where they've come from the previous year. So interesting. it's going to be interesting to see how the cyber does. I, I, bet uh, you, I bet you some of that, though, was influenced because of who they have as one of their drivers and the fact that they now sure. have an upgraded up Ferrari engine versus the year-old power plant that they were running. Oh, no, for sure. I'm sure that um, that sort of relationship between Sauber and Ferrari is always a strange one. Where, you know, Ferrari has put some input in there, and Sauber sort of... Um, uh, you know, they Sauber improve, and then after Sauber improve, they say, well, we don't want all this input from Ferrari, and then they slip back, and then Ferrari put more, you know, it's almost like, a, uh, you know, they keep slipping back, and then, you know, Ferrari boosts them up again. But, um, no, I, th- I think that, that they will probably, I mean, they're they're fighting against the likes of Toro Rosso and, and a Haas F1 in there. Um, and and the, the sort of big disappointment, I think, in a way, and again, this is just a launch car, and what you see now on all of these cars compared to what you'll see uh, at Melbourne in, in late March or early April, isn't it? Uh, a completely different. Uh, the Renault looks very underwhelming. Uh, there's some behind-the-scene changes. I did notice in one of the comments that this is the first time they'll run a fully carbon fiber gearbox. Um, so that, from my understanding, still leaves or leaves Williams as the only team that isn't running a carbon fiber gearbox. They've got a cast uh, gearbox and things like that. But you just look at some of the design work, you know, this, again, this year is probably going to be, I think Paddy Lowe described it as a battle of the barge boards. Um, 
And the Renault just looked very bland and very plain. It may well be that come come next week when they roll out at Barcelona, they'll have a you know ornate, intricate um, barge world system, and they just didn't want to reveal it early. Possibly, you know, who knows? But um, yeah, it's a little bit. Oh, okay. Especially after all the noise Renault have been making, and after the the huge investments that they've made over the last eighteen months, two years since Renault came back is an is a an owner. You know, from the the staffing numbers that they've recruited massively at uh, at Enston there, so I was a little bit disappointed with that one. Um, and with two of the the best drivers that have never had an opportunity in a top car there, with with uh, Hulkenberg and and Carlos Sainz Jr. You know, you'd almost expect a little bit more from them. But I don't know what anybody else thinks on that car. It certainly wasn't. Didn't grab your attention like maybe the Sauber and the Williams did, and the Red Bull, for a matter of fact. Well, I, I tell you this: is I like the fact that they have the Renault car being kind of similar to last year right now, just with a baseline. Because if you think about some of the hirings they did with six months to go last year, I wouldn't put it past them to be more focused on the updates for the season versus, you know, trying to to get everything out there for the launch. That said, yeah. um, you know, we know that Patty Lowe and the car they had last year at Williams was the one that he really had a hand in touching and, and trying to modify. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're six months away from seeing the f- finished product that Renault presents. Um, yeah. you know, that said, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, you mentioned Red Bull had kind of an episode there at Silverstone. I noticed in, in some of the, uh, in, in the launch, that the end plates of the rear wing are actually tilted inward towards the center of the car versus other other wings aren't quite like that. And I'm starting to wonder, could that affect the stability that you would get with downforce and just help stabilize straight line speed but kind of force you to lose a little bit of the cornering ability? Because Red um, Bull's always been known as a dynamic chassis, but... Yeah, I mean, not being a, an aerodynamicist by trade, but understanding uh, the basic principles of it. Um, the, the idea, and when you see a lot of these little veins and, and channels in the rear wing, um, that that has a sort of an effect coming out the rear of the car. So that reduces the uh, what they call the um, um, that reduces a lot of the turbulence coming off the back of the car, which just makes the whole thing more efficient. Um, so, so those sort of little intricacies and niceties don't really bring a huge amount of performance to the car. Um, the comments that Ricciardo came out with, with it, even on these filming laps um, that they're allowed to do, the 100 kilometres of filming, he did feel the rear end was uh, a lot more state or very well planted was his words. Now, obviously, for a filming day in the wet, they, you know, they'll run it at relatively high ride heights. They'll run the car, you know, a little bit soft so they don't stick it in the wall. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that went well. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah one job. Exactly. But um, yeah, little things like that, typically with aerodynamics, there isn't one thing that you'd look at and it's a huge game changer. Very rarely do you see that. I mean, you've had things like the um, the F-duct that was around you know, 10 years ago. That was a huge thing. Or the blown diffuser was a huge thing. These days, when you have stable regulations, very rarely will you see a team come up with something that is like, oh, my goodness me, that is the secret to what's been going on. Um, 
and it'll all the all the little you know those little sort of tweaks and bits that look like they could snap off of the car if you breathed on them they're all purely um to a great extent cosmetic and they're designed to tidy the air up there aerodynamicists work in a, a, a sort of percentage of downforce number and they're talking like one and two points of downforce which in measurable terms and driver feel is probably very very minimal over if you win when you add all of those up over the course of a season you would probably notice it but um you know that little aspect of having that rear wing end plate angled I doubt it's something the driver can feel. It's a whole package that would be a bigger impact to them. All right, that was a rather lengthy answer to a simple question. Sorry, thank you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, I, I tell you this: one of my one of my final things on the F one subject would be just you know we talked about uh, we talked about in the past, and I've talked about it among among a lot of my peers is just you know back in the old F one days, reliability was a big was a big deal and you would suffer reliability depending on on how good your development was and things like that and i i feel like last year we saw lewis hamilton kind of walk into the championship and a lot of it was because he didn't have any reliability issues where ferrari ended up with some and i like the fact that we're in an era again at least even if temporarily where we're seeing reliability become a thing and we're seeing development change i mean I don't know how much difference the side pods being narrower are really going to make and how much that's going to change the dynamics. I mean, that's still yet to be determined because we haven't put it put the cars down in Barcelona yet. But I love the fact that we're kind of back in somewhat of an old-school era of development and how this car is being prepared and, and essentially what kind of product we're seeing out of F1. Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a few sort of key tricks and, and key elements that the aerodynamicists have been running you know especially last year you saw that t-wing we've got rid of that the shark fin we've got rid of that um another area that's been talked about a little bit is the um what they call the monkey seat which was an element that went over the exhaust outlet and it's been around a few years in formula one and it sort of comes and goes but it's been banned this year because you starting to you were starting to see last year a little bit of that sort of blown diffuser concept and um Sorry, not blown, blown if you blown exhaust uh, concept there, and and those are those areas where, when you see a lot of this sculpting around the side pods, especially in the barge boards, is it's trying to get as much air connecting to the barge boards, keeping out of the tire wake because tire wake is massively detrimental to to aerodynamic performance, and you'll often see at pre-season testing next week, you'll see lots of teams running with aero rakes in front of the rear wheels and behind the rear wheels and and fully understanding what the air is doing over there because they're such a a, a detrimental part to aerodynamics you want to get the air channeling around the side of the engine around the engine cover and you know through the diffuser area so that's where a lot of that comes from all right so very informative stuff so later this week we're looking at actually on thursday uh when our show will air uh, Ferrari and Mercedes are going to launch on Thursday, uh, Friday. McLaren will launch. Toro also is going to launch on the 26th, uh, which is the Monday that the, that the test begins. And uh, Force India doesn't have a launch date scheduled. I'll guess they'll just show up with a car at Barcelona. So, um, you know, with that being said, uh, Joey, let's talk about the entry list for the Indy 500 now because uh, as – as we're, we're hearing reports out of um, you know out of Mark Miles and out of uh, Doug Bowles that we're looking at we're looking at an actual bump or maybe two um, on uh, Indianapolis that we've got uh, 
just my unofficial count, uh, 34 entries. That includes um, Buddy Lazier, who's not officially uh, stated his intent to bring a car to Indianapolis. And that also includes the rumored cars for uh, Oriole Servia at uh, Rahal Letterman. And then the other one is uh, Jay Howard is working on a deal to run that third uh, Schmidt-Peterson car. But if it's not Jay Howard, I think Sam Schmidt's pretty intent on uh, having somebody in that third car. So, And then, of course, uh Danica Patrick will finish off her farewell tour uh, in an Ed Carpenter car, um, which is honestly for Indy pretty darn good ride. So, Joey, uh, what are, what are you hearing as far as um, the entries into Indy, or what are your thoughts on some of these uh, some of these part timers, and uh, who should we look at? I mean, obviously, Danica. Um, we hadn't seen a press release yet, but she admitted to it uh, being in an Ed Carpenter car, and Ed's admitted to it. I think that that's a, a hell of a place for her. I think that she she's only got one finish outside the top ten at Indy in her entire career, and it's I think she's got eight starts. So uh, you know, phenomenal at Indy, and uh, obviously finished third there um, throughout her career and led laps, first woman to do that there. So I think that she's in a good opportunity at ECR. Um, I, I've seen a lot of things about Dale, uh, not Dale Coyne, uh, Brian Reinbolt running two cars with, uh, potentially Jerry Hildebrand being one of those guys. Um, you know, obviously Sage Karam has been one of their favorites, uh, right, for the last yeah. couple that's of years. What I, so. That's what I keep hearing for the other name. Yeah. Hildebrand and, yep. Um, overall, I, I mean, I talked about it before the year that I thought we'd hit 35 entries and we'd have a natural bump day. And I think it's kind of funny. We run into a year where NASCAR doesn't exactly get to bump anybody. And now IndyCar gets to bump people. So the the world seems to, to be a little bit more balanced, I guess, compared to the way it was the last few years. But, um, I think obviously Buddy Lazier shows up and I, I think it was last year he showed up on a Friday the the one day he absolutely had to, or maybe the day before for a couple hours, and and was right up to speed, uh, as up to speed as you would expect with the team on that kind of a budget. And, I mean, it blows my mind that how, how many competitive rides we're going to see. I'm Dale Coyne Racing, uh, Josh Farmer, who uh, was with Motorsports Tribune at the Phoenix Test, uh, talked to Dale, and, and Dale confirmed to him that they're running four cars. Um, I, with the likelihood of Pippa being one, he's admitted that he'd like to run Connor. So, you know, there's there's that situation. So there's some positivity going around. Uh, I'm interested to see what Connor could do because we've seen him as a couple of oval runs now. He finished, uh, obviously, a little different, but he finished seventh at Texas and what was a wreck fest last June and then at Gateway, which he tested extremely well there in an A.J. Foyt car and ended up finishing fifth, which was a career best for him on an oval. So, there's some promise there, and I feel like, in some ways, now that he's having to fight through the business side of, of racing and how difficult it is, I feel like he's somebody that can really take advantage of something like this because he's still young enough and, and smart enough and talented enough to understand what's at stake. And I feel like he's going to be someone who can maybe surprise some people and make a good run. But, I mean, overall, I, I think 35 cars would having a natural bump day is definitely going to happen. And, uh of all of them, Danica and Jerry Hildebrand are probably the two I'd put a premium on to be an upset. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, 
just real quick, because we've, we've got about four minutes left. So, uh, yeah, you know, we saw last year Buddy Lazier was, you know, pretty late to the track, but uh, kind of knew he had a spot, you know. But, uh, I mean, with a, with a bump, you know, with a bump uh, that's or, or maybe two, uh, with Buddy not having any test time with the new car, I mean, Lord knows last year he didn't test. He just, you know, showed up, showed up and got it up to – fast enough for last place uh I, you think he'll just sit this one out or because i, I do know that uh buddy's got some some plans in the longer term uh to kind of focus on his son's career and um i mean is it necessary for him to uh keep showing up to fill that 33rd spot or or do you think buddy will step away i don't know i, I mean uh it's indy and it's buddy and I, if i remember right he's close to a uh a milestone mark for starts like he might be coming up on, I think, the all-time career record for most starts in the Indy, Indy 500, potentially. Because, um, I mean, he's been there every year since 96, if I recall, 95. So, um, it's a pretty long tenure. But, I, I obviously, at some point, he's going to focus on Finn. I don't know how much of a check he gets because I don't know there's the the payout for Indy is a little funky um, so I don't know how much of that he gets a cut from but at the same time I can just tell you this is that if you can find sponsorship that wants to slap on there um, slap their name on the car I mean certainly the he's won it before and he showed decent pace last year I think the if he is going to set any of them out this year would make the most sense because we're looking at a situation where it's a reset year for the series right and um it's it's maybe it's a DW12, but you're running into a situation where you know we've got a different body on the car. So I, that's a great question. I honestly yeah, don't know. Said, it's kind of a wait and see. But yeah, it's uh, kind of what I, just my personal thought. No disrespect to Buddy, like I said, he's been there year in and year out. So, but um, we are just about out of time. So Joey, I, I'll start with you. Any final thoughts on the evening before we uh, before we have to get off the air? Uh, honestly, not too much. I'm getting primed to, to head out to Homestead for the Monster Road to Indy test. There's a four-day test out there, Friday to Monday, and uh, just excited to get that going and meet some of these youngsters that could be potentially future IndyCar champions. All right. Well, have fun. I, I'm looking forward to your report back from there when you get back in town. So, uh, Gray, what's on your mind before we split? Well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put Daytona behind us. Uh, it, was a, it was a nice win, but. Uh, Still got a lot of work to do, and uh, we'll go see what uh, what Atlanta brings this weekend. All right. We're looking forward to Atlanta. Seth, what's on your mind, sir? Um, interested to see what news comes out. Supposedly, there's going to be some news coming out about Cole Custer and a possible cup ride at Vegas. All right. Well, good for Cole, man. I hope that, uh, hope that comes to fruition. So, and Richard... You got one more, and then Joey has one more. So, <laughs> Richard, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good to see some uh, F1 cars back on the track uh, for the first time since uh, since Abu Dhabi at the back end of last year. So, uh, no, it'll be interesting to see what happens. See if uh, there's any big changes in the pecking order. I think the most interesting thing, and most of the eyes will be on uh, on McLaren there to see how they they integrate the new uh, or t- new to them Renault engine. Uh, if anybody can push Mercedes not just purely on pace but also on reliability last year they already run a pretty much a race distance by the end of the first day testing so uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see if they can continue their dominance and uh, how the other teams stack up, stack up against them yeah we're looking forward to Formula 1 getting underway again too now Joey one more final thought for you this is your final final thought because you got negative 20 seconds to get it in 
Well, <laughs> I'd be remiss because you you asked me to do this uh, to plug. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, go right ahead. Motorsports yeah. Motorsports Tribune. So, uh, Motorsports Tribune, we have some exciting stuff uh, that finally got confirmed last week. Um, for the IndyCar side, we're going to have rookie Zach Veach, uh, who's with Andretti Autosport as our driver journalist. Uh, with the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, we're going to have Ben Rhodes and Myatt Snyder from Thor Sport. Uh, on board for our driver journalist for that series, and then in Xfinity, uh, Richard Childress Racing driver. We got Matt Tift. So, and there's still more more to be announced. But at the moment, I wanted to just tell everybody that those are confirmed, and they can check out MotorsportsTribune.com for any of that stuff. Absolutely. Also, you can find Motorsports Tribune on Twitter and on Facebook, as you can also find Drafting the Circuits. Find us on Facebook or find us at hoobazoo.com slash Drafting the Circuits. And speaking of hoobazoo.com, I'd like to thank Hoobazoo for hosting us. I'd like to thank you, Grace, Seth, Richard, Joey. I'd like to thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker. And I want to thank all you folks that listen in every week. Um, have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.